Stop for a moment and think about all the people you interact with on an average day. I'm not talking about your spouse or coworkers. I'm talking about the people that you pass at the grocery store, the person that picks up that pin you drop at the bank, or the person at the gas station that sells you the beer. Now ask yourself how much you know about that person. My name is Mitch Wheeler, and I'm the host of a new podcast called People in My Neighborhood. I sit down with people from all walks of life, have a drink, and find out all I can. I want to know what they do, if they like their job, the good parts, the bad parts, successes, failures, and how they got there. And then we go through all the same questions about their passions, dreams, and hobbies outside of work to really get to the human in each guest. Available everywhere podcasts are found and stagediverradio.com. Greetings and salutations out there, sports fans. It is another wonderful edition of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. As always, I am your humble host, Michael Shibley. It's going to be another glorious podcast, and I promise you, unlike a player in the NFL, which we'll talk about later, I am not going to quit halfway through this podcast. I'm going to keep going because that's what I do. I'm a professional, just like all the other professional podcasts you can hear here on the Stage Diver Radio Network, including Haffle, Scruffy Little Podcast, J&B's DLC, One Fall or 60 Minutes, Deadbeat Radio, People in My Neighborhood, and more. So stay tuned to all those, and of course you can check them all out at stagediverradio.com. We've got a media player there where you can hear all the archived shows and all the stuff that we download extra stuff as well that we've got going on in our world at the Stage Diver Radio Network. And, of course, always you can download us wherever you get your other great and glorious podcasts, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google at the Google Play Store, and, of course, Stitcher and TuneIn. So all of those are available to you. And wherever you are with all of those, please rate and review and subscribe and all that great stuff. It really helps us out and makes us even to a better podcast. And we want to hear comments as well. Send me your feedback. You got an issue you want to debate with me on a show and send me a question, I want to hear from you. So, of course, you can do that at stagediverradio at gmail.com. You can send us an email there. And, of course, you can also call us on the hotline at 865-888-0109 and leave us a phone message. We always love playing those on the show if they are good and brief and funny and don't drop too many f-bombs in them so we would appreciate that also you can contact with me michael shibley you can follow me on twitter at michael underscore shibley and on instagram as well at michael underscore shibley and if you want to interact with the show on facebook we've got the modern day gladiators facebook page where you can go when we've got extra news bits that we talk about and maybe different things we can't bring up on the show and of course when breaking news happens i go live on facebook live and to break down some of the big events that have happened. Of course, we do. I do my pick segment for college football. We also do, I do a recap of the Tennessee game after the the game has been done. That's what a recap is, obviously. And we just break it all down and talk about it and look forward to the next couple of games. You can check that out as well. And you can also subscribe on the YouTube page, Michael Shibley, there as well. So plenty of ways to find me and interact with the show. We want to hear from you. So Got all that great stuff out of the way. Make sure Mitch stays off my back. Make sure I plug everything. So I did that. It's awesome. So let's get in to this week's edition 
of Modern Day Gladiators. Breaking down again, week three of the college football season has come and gone, and there are more things that we have learned. And the big one that we have learned this week is the SEC still the best conference. I don't know why people, so many people were coming out and saying, oh, the Big Ten's going to knock the SEC down and Big Ten's going to be the best conference. They sure have not shown that on the field. But let's look at what's happened on the field. Alabama, the bell cow, whether you like it or not as a Tennessee fan, and I hate it that they're the bell cow, but that's what we've got. They've been outscoring opponents 170 to 28. So they've been blowing people out, and that includes a halfway decent Ole Miss team, Louisville. All the teams, think about it, Arkansas State, Louisville, and Ole Miss, the three teams that Alabama have played, they're 6-0 and in their other games. So they're not just the dregs of the earth, like the two, non, you know, the two of the last three non-conference opponents that Tennessee has played, but we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, Georgia has been outscoring opponents 135-24, to including a beatdown of South Carolina at South Carolina. But the team with the most impressive wins so far out of the SEC has obviously been LSU. They started the season at 25th, and I thought they were rated too high. I didn't think LSU should be ranked. I was thinking this was a 6-6 and team, and Ed Orgeron was going to be fired. I have been proven wrong so far through the first three weeks of the season. They've gone out, they beat Miami and Auburn. Both were in the top 10 at the time. So hats off to Ed Ordron. I have been betting against him all the time. I keep thinking I'm going to be right. I have been proven wrong way too many times. I need to stop doubting him for a while. Of course, now the second I stop doubting him, LSU is going to lose like five straight games in a row because that's <laughs> seems to be what happens. But I mean, Joe Burrow, their new quarterback, still not a great quarterback, but he hasn't done anything to lose games. LSU has not turned the ball over yet this season. And the old adage, they say, if you don't beat yourself, your opponent can't do it either. And Burrow has been doing that. He's been taking care of the football. He's been pretty clutch, too, really, when you look at it. That 71-yard touchdown pass they had at Auburn with about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, that was a thing of beauty. And that fourth and seven to on the game-winning drive, that was pretty clutch as well. So hats off to them. One of the things you have to look at, because we've talked about how Alabama has had their, I thought, you know, Mississippi State and Auburn were going to be their toughest tests, and they both go to Bryant-Denny Stadium. But you look, LSU, they've got three really, really tough opponents coming up, and it's Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama. They all have to go to Death Valley there in Baton Rouge, and you know that atmosphere is insane. Those people just do not let up. A night game at Tiger Valley, and you know, in Death Valley there, whoo-wee, that is a sight to behold. So LSU could be a big factor in all of this. We'll just, again, we'll have to see how the season plays out, but they have been by far the most impressive. And then you look at some of the other SEC schools, what have been happening. You know, Kentucky has, I think, exceeded expectations when you look at it. Again, Mississippi State, I think, is a very, very good program. Auburn, they had the good win against Washington. They stubbed their toe here against LSU, but I think, again, they're very solid when it comes to that. Vanderbilt did well for themselves against Notre Dame. They almost beat them. They probably should have beat Notre Dame when you look at it. They fumbled the ball at the one. They had some costly turnovers as well. So some of those things just resulted in Notre Dame getting a 16 to nothing lead. And Vanderbilt tried to come back, almost did it, but it was not meant to be. But Vanderbilt is going to be a tough out for a lot of teams. So you know, and you look at Tennessee, they've got a tough road to hoe. That schedule is not good, but you've got a lot of teams at the top of this conference 
that are really impressive so far this season. Meanwhile, you look at, uh, you know, and, and uh, Missouri is undefeated too. Drew Locke, a very good quarterback. They've got a very interesting matchup against uh, hosting Georgia this week. That should be a lot of fun. Georgia always seems to have problems up there in Columbia. So be on the lookout for that one. So it's just interesting. And of course, you've got teams at the bottom like Arkansas. Whew. They, they Arkansas has not looked good at all. So oof, that that is not pretty. That loss to North Texas, they got beat down by North Texas. That's not supposed to happen to an SEC school ever. I mean, you you almost want them to get relegated at this point. But uh, we will see how that goes. Of course, Tennessee, they've had their issues as well. But I definitely think they're better than Arkansas for crying out loud. That is, eesh, that is nasty. Nasty stuff, but speaking of uh, nasty stuff, the Big Ten had an absolute terrible week when you add everything up. You know, they're not living up to that top billing that a lot of the members of the media were giving them, thinking that they were the best conference. I mean, look at this. Kansas. Kansas, who ended their long road-losing streak last week, went and beat Rutgers by 41. That's not supposed to happen. That might happen in basketball. That would be understandable. If you see Kansas beat Rutgers by 41 in basketball, that's perfectly fine. That's reasonable. It's like, wow, I mean, Kansas probably could have beat them by more. But in football, I know Rutgers is bad, but that is not supposed to. Kansas has been terrible for years. And that came out, ugh, that's been nuts. Meanwhile, Northwestern lost at home to Akron, the Zips. It's the first win for the Zips over a Big Ten school since 94. And, uh, uh, that's not 1994, that's 1894, when a uh, man by the name of John W. Heisman coached the Akron Zips. Uh, he went on, of course, to become a trophy. So you have that lineage there with Akron. What happened to Northwestern? That was, wow, that's, that's not supposed to happen. Nebraska lost at home to Troy. Scott Frost has not gotten off to a good start. Of course, I still think if they had been able to play Akron, to begin the season, instead of that game getting canceled, I think they would have at least looked a lot better in their losses to Colorado and Troy. So, not good there still for Scott Frost. Uh, Maryland lost at home to Temple. I mean, what has happened with Maryland? I mean, this happened last year, too. They beat Texas to open up the season, and then they go out and just stub their toe. This is... Lost at home to Temple. Purdue lost at home to Mizzou. At least that's a Power 5 school. Illinois lost at home to South Florida. South Florida, I think, though, is a better program right now than Illinois. Illinois is a dumpster fire as well. But the big one had to be Wisconsin losing at home to BYU. BYU, it looks like they're finally kind of on the rise. They had a bad year last year. They've lost nine games, I think, for the first time since the 50s. They're at BYU. So it's not something you expect from those fighting Mormons there at Brigham Young University, but uh, you don't expect also Wisconsin to lose at home in that they had, I think, 41 straight non-conference wins at home there at Camp Randall Stadium, some just crazy streak, and that's come to an end. That is, that's tough uh, for the Wisconsin fans because I had, I still have them winning the Big Ten. I had them in my playoff too, so... This is going to be, they can still get there. Trust me, they're going to have to, I think, pretty much win out. But I think Wisconsin can get there. This was definitely a wake-up call for them. Only Penn State and Ohio State are the only undefeated teams left in the Big Ten. And they play in two weeks. So, the Big Ten, they might, again, by the end of the year, they might show that they are 
you know, going toe to toe with the SEC for being top conference, but they're not off to a great start. It's a tough hole for them to climb out of. So you got to look at that. And of course, uh, at least though, some of these schools, at least they're not Florida state. Wow. What has happened? Florida state got beat down by the Syracuse orange. Dino Babers, I think is a really good coach. He doesn't believe in defense, but they just stomped. Florida State. That was terrible. Willie Taggart looked lost on the sidelines. That was that was not good. The two ACC teams that have played Florida State, Virginia Tech, who's again I think going to be a really solid team, and then Syracuse, who is still a good team, but probably still near the bottom of the ACC when you, everything shakes out. They just beat down the Florida State Seminoles. Both teams have outscored the Noles fifty-four to ten. Ugh, I, I don't. I just I know Willie Taggart. You know, came in with a lot of hype. This is the school he grew up rooting for. But now when you look at it, the offensive line is terrible. Francois, the quarterback, is running for his life. He is going to get put in the hospital again. Almost the best thing that happened to him last year was getting injured in the Alabama game. Then he didn't have to play last season and get beat up like he is right now. I mean, it is, it, you know, it, you take the way Tennessee's offensive line was at the end of last year, that's pretty much how bad Florida State's offensive line has now been for a couple of years, it seems like. It is just amazing. When you look at Willie Taggart, he came in with a lot of a lot of enthusiasm. You know, he came out of the press conference with the fans and everybody around him throwing the tomahawk chop out there with all of them and everything. But you look at it, besides in, uh, he had one year, I believe it was it was uh, 2016. He had uh, at South Florida with uh, Quentin Flowers, who uh, made it into the NFL. He's with the Cincinnati Bengals uh, with their team. Uh, he was quarterback. Uh, Quentin Flowers now running back with the Bengals. But uh, that South Florida Bulls team went 10 and two. But besides that, you take a look at his time at Western Kentucky and with South Florida and with Oregon. Willie Taggart is 48 and 52 as a head coach. And now he's the head man at Florida State, a team that five years ago won the national championship. That, that, that teams, especially an established power like Florida State, has been forever, just doesn't fall off the wagon like that. And I don't think Jimbo Fisher left the cupboard that bare. I mean, he's going to get a lot of blame for this because they did go seven and five, but at least they were able to win. I mean, this is looking like best case scenario, a four and eight Florida State team. That's not good. That hasn't happened in a long time. I mean, way before Bobby Bowden got there. I mean, probably it was before Bobby Bowden got there. I'd have to just look at all that, but that is just not, not good. And I mentioned earlier, again, other things that we've learned with Nebraska and Scott Frost. Don't burn the place down yet with Nebraska. They're 0-2. I think they're going to get better. The the Big Ten West is not a good division at all. You've got Wisconsin and maybe Iowa, and that's about it. Everybody else is just middling to not good. So I think Nebraska can still rally. I don't know if they're going to get to a bowl game, but about four or five wins. Fans should probably feel better after the start that they've had. I also wouldn't burn the place down yet at UCLA. It's it's tough to see that. They're 0-3 and not been great, but the Pac-12 South going forward is not a good division either, but who is not look great. I wouldn't burn everything down yet. I think Chip Kelly's a pretty good coach. I mean, he did a lot at Oregon. I mean, he got him to a national title game for crying out loud or close. Yeah, but it's just one of those things that you've got to 
look at. He's going to get his players into his system, but right now they do not have the players to run his system there at UCLA. And that's another thing, by the way. I want to. I don't mean to get off on a complete tangent here, but that's been one of the things that's bothered me. It bothered me with some of the coaches that we've had here at Tennessee as system coaches where you get these guys. And yes, sometimes the transition maybe takes a minute, but you got these players that can run it. You don't have to run your full system with the players you've got. You can adapt. I mean, that's one of the things that's always bothered me is you get these coaches who have to run their system. It's like, why don't you take the players that you've got and play to their strengths because they maybe they'll win a little bit more. I mean, I, I understand the process. I hate the term process with all of this, but it just gets frustrating sometimes where you can take what you've got and win with it, and then afterwards you can implement change and implement more of your system. You don't have to just go full bore with it, but uh, some of the places I'd look to burn down, and these are also out in the Pac-12, Arizona, I don't know what's happened to them. I mean, he had a Heisman, you know, Kevin Sumlin inherited a Heisman Trophy dark horse candidate in Khalil Tate. I don't know what's happened to him. They started 0-2, just one. They were tied with Southern Utah to start that game at halftime, and that's, that's not good. I mean, they go to Oregon State this week, and I'm almost expecting Oregon State to beat them the way it's been going for Arizona. That's just... Not good, but uh, and also USC. What has happened to UFC? They might need a shakeup. I mean, Clay Helton has done some okay things, but you you gotta wonder how much Sam Darnold made up for a lot of the coaching that Clay Helton has been done. Because Sam Holt, Sam Darnold's been doing very well for himself with the Jets so far. He came down a little bit this week uh, after the hot start, but still, I think he's gonna be a very good quarterback in the NFL. But, wow, they had three points against Stanford, and then they had uh, against Texas. They got beat down again. Their rushing attack, 16 rushes for negative five yards against Texas. And Texas, I think, might start turning some things around, but they haven't been good to start the year. But that was a huge beatdown. So it has been a real interesting uh, couple of weeks here for things we've learned, and we will see how things develop as the season goes along. But... These are some of the things to look out for. Uh, Meanwhile, again, the big thing that we do know on top, SEC, still the best conference right now in college football. I mean, you've got six teams in the top 25, four in the top 10. Alabama and Georgia, one and two. LSU has climbed all the way to number six. Auburn at nine. Mississippi State has climbed up to 14. And Texas A&M has made their way into the top 25 at 22. We'll see if Texas A&M stays there as they uh, play against Alabama. Uh, this week, so we will see how that one goes. Meanwhile, for the Tennessee Vols, talked about this, playing UTEP, glorified scrimmage, we understand that. They really should have won this game by probably at least like 38 to nothing. They should have added at least two more touchdowns on there, if not a third. You look at how the game shook out. You had a clipping call or a block below, chop block call that uh, set up instead of, Ty Chandler was in the end zone. I mean, he was in there. It had been a touchdown, but the chop block happened. Tennessee had to fall, you know, 15 yards back and then had another false start penalty, something like that. So it set up a field goal to open the game. Then Tennessee, you know, uh, Banks reached the ball. And uh, freshmen are good at freshmen. I understand that, man, but you got to teach them. They can't on first and goal. You can't reach the ball over the goal line. Fourth and goal, 
game, you know, third and goal, something like that, the game's on the line. Yes, by all means, reach the ball out and try to score, but don't do that at that point. So that cost us a touchdown. So you had some things, and it was interesting. I'm fine with putting Keller Chris in the game, but it seemed like they put him in at odd times. I wasn't a biggest fan of when they put Keller Chris in to get something going. I would have, especially at the end of the first half, I would have rather had Garantano in there, who, by the way, has looked really good. I've liked how Garantano has played. You give him a little bit of time with the offensive line, and he can throw the ball. I mean, he's looked really well. I've liked some of the deep balls he's thrown. He's been very consistent. I'm fine with Garantano as the starting quarterback. So you got that, but I would have wanted him in running the two-minute drill because that's what you've got UTEP in for, to beat up on and score, even if Get, you know, the game is out of hand. That's what you're paying them to come to your place and do is lose. That's what you're paying them to do. But uh, anyway, the defense I thought looked really good. Again, I understand the opponent. I understand UTEP has the longest losing streak in college football right now. But the defense shut them out. And I really, they didn't threaten. I think they crossed midfield just a couple of times, really. So I was a big fan of how the defense looked. But again, now things have turned up. We've talked about it here. Just get to this point and the schedule, and now we'll start breaking down. We've got bigger games coming. It's Florida week. You know, bust out your best pair of jorts for the Florida fans. They are coming to Neyland Stadium. It's a primetime game, 7 o'clock on ESPN. So the spotlight is going to be on Tennessee and Neyland Stadium. It's going to be a great atmosphere, and we will see Florida coming in. Fans aren't coming in with a lot of enthusiasm for the Gators. They finally lost to Kentucky, though Kentucky might be a much better team than we think. We'll see. Again, Felipe Franks has not become the elite quarterback everyone who recruited him and pretty much everybody in the nation was recruiting Felipe Franks Franks out of high school. So we'll see the game is really, I think, and I hate to, to, to even say this, but the game could really define Tennessee season because you look at the games coming up, Georgia, which a three thirty game on CBS, not a good spot for Tennessee. I think Georgia could probably blow out Tennessee pretty handily. And then you've got, you got the bye week but then it's at Auburn, and then they host Alabama right after that. So those next few games, it's not going to be good for Tennessee. So if they can get this win somehow against Florida, you know, beat a rival that you you really should have beaten the last few years too. Yes, uh, two years ago, Tennessee got the win, got over the hump, finally ended the 11-game losing streak. But they probably should have won the year before that. They gave up some problems in the secondary. And, of course, last season with the the Hail Mary and some of the bad coaching decisions at the goal line, just an inexcusable loss, really, for Tennessee in that one. So Tennessee really should come out of this game. We'll see. We'll see how this everything goes. Tennessee right now, at least when we're recording this, is a four-and-a-half-point underdog at home. So, but I think Tennessee has a real good chance to win this game. I'll make my pick a little bit later uh, in the week. You can check that out, of course, on the uh, Modern Day Gladiators podcast Facebook page. You can check that out where I make my picks with my little smoky companion and uh, all that good stuff. But got to look out for that. This game really could be a huge factor in how the rest of Tennessee season goes. And we can make a lot more judgments after that game. I'm rooting real hard for my balls, So I'm hoping. I'm tired of just losing to Florida constantly. Let's just 
just beat them. I'll feel so much better. And everybody around town will feel a whole lot better here in Knoxville if we can just knock off the gators and just send them back to the swamp with their tails between their legs would make everybody feel much, much better. Meanwhile, when you look at some of the other big week four games coming out, you've got uh, the only top 25 matchup happening is out in the Pac-12. Stanford heading to Oregon. That should be an interesting game. We'll see where both programs are at. A big game deciding who's really going to challenge Washington in the Pac-12 North. And then you got some good uh, SEC games I mentioned before. Texas A&M traveling to Bryant-Denny to host uh, at Alabama. And then you've got Mississippi State at Kentucky. I think that one should be a really good quarterback battle with some running quarterbacks there. Wisconsin at Iowa. And see how Wisconsin bounces back from a really disappointing loss there for them. And one other thing I just got notified of while we've been recording this is that the uh, Tennessee 2019 football schedule has just come out. So this is my first glance at that. We'll kind of see here opening. We've got three good non-conference opponents, Georgia State to open the year. These are all in Knoxville. Uh, And then BYU, the Cougars, who just knocked off Wisconsin. So they might be coming back. BYU, that'll be a tough non-conference opponent game. That's going to be happening here in Neyland Stadium and then Chattanooga, and then we travel to Florida. Uh, They're to close out September. We've got an open date, and then, again, more home games here. Uh, Georgia, Mississippi State. Uh, Hopefully uh, Fitzgerald won't be there with Mississippi State anymore at that one, so we'll see how that one goes. At Alabama, and then South Carolina, UAB uh, to start November. Then at Kentucky, and then I guess the way the, the calendars work, we get two open dates this year, so another open date, and then at Missouri, and then Vanderbilt to close out the year. So again, we'll see how this goes, but I like the non-conference slate. Obviously, um, it's not just th- the fact that we don't have Auburn on the schedule uh, is really nice. The crossover is now Mississippi State, which is still, I think, going to be a big challenge, but it'll be nice to have Mississippi State uh, in Neyland Stadium for the first time in more than a decade, probably. I think I was a student at UT the last time Mississippi State was here, so that'll be cool to watch. So we'll kind of see how all that shapes out, but again, that's just looking forward. We're talking more about what's been going on now in the world of college football. So that's going to wrap up uh, this Uh, segment of the college football uh, things we've learned going here the modern day gladiators podcast now we'll move to the other big story and again you would think i'd just talk about the nfl here in this segment but no it's a specific thing we're talking about in the nfl i mentioned it earlier in the podcast um bill's cornerback vonte davis decided at halftime of uh, sunday's 31 20 loss to the chargers at home uh decided to retire from football. Yep, that is what he did. He uh, at halftime was pretty much said, "I'm done." Pulled himself out of the game and just said he couldn't do it anymore. He, <laughs> it, you know, it, it's amazing what happened with that. It's one of the weirdest things I have ever seen in sports. It is fascinating to look at what happened with that. He's just like, "No, I'm done. I'm out." He just couldn't do it anymore. It was it was amazing to see. I was just he walked away. He quit. Everybody's like, "Oh no, he uh, he retired." No, he quit. And that's been the big thing that I got out of all of this. It's just you know my heart's not in it. All this other stuff. He what is amazing to me out of the whole thing is he retired. He quit. I'm just going to say he quit. 
at halftime, didn't tell his teammates, didn't stay around to finish. He got his stuff and just left like a thief in the night. The last time I saw someone quit like this, just and just say, I don't want to do it anymore. The most famous one was Roberto Duran uh, back in the day saying, no mas. And I don't know if anybody you know remembers uh, him against Sugar Ray Leonard back in the day, but Roberto Duran saying, no mas. He was getting his butt whipped by Sugar Ray Leonard too much and decided he didn't want to do it anymore. And uh, that's what happened there. Um, but this is just amazing. This is what he left pretty much on, uh, on Instagram. Uh, after this, it's like, this isn't how I pictured retiring from the NFL, but in my 10th NFL season, I've been doing what my body's been programmed to do. Get ready to play on game day. I've endured multiple surgeries and played through many different injuries throughout my career, but today on the field, it hit me fast and hard. I shouldn't be out there anymore. I meant no disrespect to my teammates or coaches. You did disrespect them. You didn't, if you didn't mean it, you sure as hell did disrespect them for crying out loud. I mean, you at least owe them the explanation before you post it on social media. Some of the players said they found out when the media found out and told them, which was amazing to see. There is something about the, the brotherhood and family that a football team especially has. I mean, you guys are out there. They're playing a very violent game. It's, and, and the fact that he just walked away and didn't even stay through the end of the game to tell them, hey, I'm done. Just it, It's so disrespectful. On so many levels. It, it frustrated me just even reading about it. I read, I read it the first time I saw it. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, they didn't even say it was just an injury or anything. He's just like, I can't do it anymore. I mean, just think of this as your job. And I know a lot of us have had jobs that we would just love to just walk away from. But we can't. We can't just walk away from the money that this guy was making. And think about it. Just think about your job where, because we've all been in stressful situations. I've been in some jobs where the stress level is up to 11 when you talk about how some things work. And yeah, I've had some bad days, but I've never just decided to quit mid-shift. I have more respect for myself and more respect for the people I'm working with to at least finish out the day. I mean, that happens plenty of times. I mean, we've seen guys retire in training camp or spring training, or they've retired after a game where they're just, but he just, he upped and left like a thief in the night. I'm done. See you guys. Hopped in an Uber and drove away. That's just some level of disrespect that I can't even imagine. Think about the, the real world scenario for this too. I don't know what he's doing for his future. I don't know how his retirement plan is but if you're someone interviewing him and looking at his resume and find out who he is do you want someone like that working for you i don't someone who's just gonna quit mid-shift if he doesn't like how it's going and i understand again the the toll the body takes but this is the most buffalo bills thing that has been happening and i mean they had nathan peterman just throw more interceptions the bills are a dumpster fire right now which is weird because the bills made the playoffs last year for crying out loud and they've just decided to just go completely off the rails and this is just a mess it is amazing but I promise we have come to break here. And guess what? On the other side of that break, you're going to see me here in this chair talking more great sports with shibbles and bits coming up. But again, right now you are listening to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. I'll be here after the break. I'm not quitting, not retiring, not going anywhere because I have respect for myself and respect for you out there listening. Love you guys. Be back after the break. Again, listening to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Hey there, this is Rin Dupes and Katrina Vargas. We're the hosts and creators of this new podcast, That Other F Word. 
that word, it's feminism. We are proud, happy, open-minded feminists, and we're not embarrassed to tell you that. In fact, we'll tell you all about it on our new podcast coming to Stage Diver Radio Network and everywhere podcasts are found. Check out our Wool Manifesto now to learn more about what to expect and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome back, everybody, to Modern Day Gladiators. Thank you guys for hanging out. I told you I wasn't going anywhere. I'm still here in this chair providing awesome sports commentary for everybody out there. So hang in there. We're going to get through this one. I love you guys. I appreciate you guys hanging out with me. And, of course, you can check all the great stuff we've got at stagediverradio.com, all the other great shows that we have out there for you. But it's time for my favorite segment where we look through everything that has been going on that maybe has gone underreported or just not noticed. We'll check it all out. It's time for Shibbles and Bits. Ah, yes, sneaking around, causing trouble. That's what I'm always doing. I am causing some serious trouble. Here at the Stage Diver Radio Network, but that's okay. You guys are here with me. Let's run through all the little stuff going on in the sports world. I say little. It's just some of the stuff that might have gone underreported or, hey, some of the other stuff has overshadowed it, at least in my view. And that's NFL Week 2. Again, I don't put as much weight sometimes into these first couple of weeks of the NFL season because, again, so many of the players just don't play in the preseason anymore. So, but again... We look at some of the things that have happened, though, through NFL Week 2. The Packers got hosed in their tie. We've had two ties in two weeks here. A lot of sister kissing going on uh, in, in the NFL, as always. The tie is like kissing your sister. I don't, why am I explaining that? You guys all know what I'm talking about. If you're a sports fan, you understand the definition of a tie is like kissing your sister, so I'm not even going to mention it anymore. But there's a roughing a passer call called on Clay Matthews where pretty much he did a form tackle and they still called roughing the passer on the quarterback in Minnesota. And that, to me, is just not cool at all. They need to they, they need to make, like, the NHL and just change a rule midseason. The NHL has done that before, where they realize there's a rule and they found a loophole and teams aren't going about it the right way. And then they go in midseason, change the rule. They need to get rid of this body weight thing, because there wasn't even a body weight contact on that one. If you look at the replay, there was nothing wrong with the tackle that Clay Matthews had there. And it allowed uh, the Vikings to get a first down because the Packers had intercepted the, the original pass. They got a touchdown and a two-point conversion to tie. And then the kicker, kickers just missed everything, which was amazing. What has happened to kicking in the NFL, for crying out loud? I mean, the Browns kicker missed kicks in week one he's missed them now in week two I think the both the Vikings and the Browns I think they cut their kickers uh which I I mean they've been missing kicks so goodbye we'll find somebody who can make them so hopefully they do because that has not been good uh some other things uh news and notes in the NFL Ryan Fitzpatrick uh with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers I think he should keep his job over Jameis Winston at least until he has a really really bad game but he has come out and looked great now again Fitzpatrick has played 14 seasons in the NFL, and he's had 100-plus starts. Now, none of them have been in the playoffs, so that is something you do have to consider. But he has looked great through the first two weeks of the season. Jameis Winston still has one game left on his suspension, and then we'll see what happens. But I wouldn't do it. Keep Stay with the hot hand at this point. And really, Jameis Winston is a knucklehead. You've seen the just the bevy 
of problems he has created both at Florida State and now with Tampa Bay. And you've got a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who the weirdest thing he's done was come out to that press conference with the shirt open, with the hair out, and all that stuff. Looking looking a lot like Conor McGregor, which I guess was the look he was going for. But that was funny. But that's that's been the most controversial thing Fitzpatrick's ever done. I mean, the man's a Harvard grad, has done very well for himself. So, I mean... You look at that compared to what the knuckleheaded dumb stuff that Jameis Winston has done. I'd rather have Ryan Fitzpatrick under center call, making those calls, at least right now. We'll see how the season goes, but he's looked great. Pat Mahomes for Kansas City. I mean, people were wondering uh, what Kansas City was doing getting rid of Alex Smith uh, and going with Pat Mahomes, but he has had 10 touchdowns in two weeks. He had four in week one, six here in week two. He has looked on fire. I mean, the the release time that he's had is amazing. So look out for the Kansas City Chiefs, and their offense has looked great in these first two weeks. Carson Wentz for the Eagles has now been cleared. He will start. Uh, He's going to, you know, Nick Foles did a great job of getting them and winning the Super Bowl, but we'll see Carson Wentz still, I think, overall is the better quarterback. So we're going to have Wentz come in and uh, start for the Eagles, and we'll see what happens. The Jaguars came in and just clocked the New England Patriots, which I enjoyed seeing. I thought the Patriots, as always, love when the Patriots get knocked down a peg or two. We'll see if the Jaguars can maintain this, but that defense is great. Uh, And, I mean, they actually had some good stuff happen on offense. So that was pretty cool to see. If they can maintain their offensive prowess, at least, you know, on a regular basis here through the season, they could be in the Super Bowl, which would be really interesting to see. So that's fun to see. Uh, the Patriots, though, after getting clocked, and finally maybe have given uh, Tom Brady a new target to have as the uh, Patriots acquired Josh Gordon from Cleveland for a fifth-round pick. Josh Gordon, of course, has had uh, a lot of problems. He's had injuries. He's also had a lot of problems with um, the league's marijuana uh, stance that they've got the rules that the league has in in place with marijuana use. So Josh Gordon's been suspended for a lot from that. Now, again, I have my own issues with what their rulings with the marijuana is. We won't get into that here. I just believe they should just stop punishing them for marijuana, but that's just me. But we'll see. Josh Gordon coming in finally to a winning franchise overall. We'll see what happens, and maybe he will just be able to stand out and give Tom Brady a nice new target to have uh, to help with their offense. So that's my NFL news and notes here to start shibbles and bits back into college football real quick. Forbes magazine came out with their new rankings of the most valuable football teams in college football. Texas A&M has knocked Texas from the perch. Texas had that ranking for a long time, but it's good to be an Aggie. It it shows that it was uh, well worth the money and they could afford to pay Jimbo Fisher for all the money that they've been making. Now, again, this study comes from the average of their revenue and profit uh, through the 2014 through 2016 seasons is what Forbes is using here. Texas A&M had $148 million in revenue, a profit of $107 million in football. Uh, Texas, of course, they had $133 million in revenue, 87 in profit. Rounding out uh, the top 11 here, Michigan, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Auburn, LSU, Florida, and then Tennessee. Even after just the the rough patch that Tennessee has had for the last decade of football, Tennessee is still one of the most profitable and valuable college football programs out there. $108 million in revenue and $60 million in profit. Now, of course, 
we'll see how it turns through the 2017 and 2018 season with the figures there. But Tennessee is still looking good no matter what. A lot of SEC teams obviously thrown about with this, but we'll just kind of see how all that goes. Of course, obviously, none of that money is going to the players, uh, which is a whole other issue that we will talk about at length, I'm sure, on another edition of Modern Day Gladiators in the future. Back into the NFL real quick. It was a really interesting signing here uh, by the Seahawks. Uh, the ex-linebacker uh, for the Browns, uh, Michael Kendricks, he was cut by the Browns uh, and the Seahawks signed him, which would seem normal. I mean, that happens all the time in the NFL. A player gets cut, another team picks him up, they find a need. The interesting thing is the reason Michael Kendricks was cut by the Browns was he pled guilty to insider trading earlier this year. Uh, he's got a sentencing hearing January 24th, so he's pled guilty, but he hasn't been sentenced yet, but he could face up to 25 years in prison for insider trading. I mean, this is, and Kendricks, he's a Super Bowl winner, too. He, uh, he played with the Eagles last season. He used tips from an acquaintance to make about $1.2 million in illegal profits on four major trading deals, is what the federal prosecutors have said, and he's pled guilty to this. So it is really interesting to see where the NFL values uh, crime and different things when you look at it, because again, this is a white-collar crime, obviously, and he pled guilty. Meanwhile, you have the NFL with their suspending players with, you know, and again, it's, it's been, uh, you know, spousal abuse and, uh, and gun charges and different things like that, where they have not pled guilty. They haven't even gone to trial yet. Sometimes the charges have been dismissed and the NFL seems to find a way to go and suspend guys for issues like this. I think the NFL needs to have, I don't, I don't like the fact that the NFL needs to be the hangman really with all this, the judge, jury and executioner. Now, again, they have their own private, Again, the NFL is a company, and they have their own beliefs and what they want to go through their system. But I really think I see a double standard th with this, where he's pled guilty to a crime, but he's perfectly okay to play. Meanwhile, some of these other guys are going through the court system, and charges get dismissed and all these different things. But they've been suspended for something that the charges got dropped, or they were found not guilty of. So, honestly... If I'm the NFL, I, I can't just jump at the whims of what everybody is saying and have their finger in the air and find out which way the wind is blowing with public opinion. I think the NFL needs to essentially be like, as long as you are not in prison, you have not been sentenced, anything like that, then you can start suspending people. If you were found you know, guilty or pled guilty to a crime and then get sentenced, whatever that sentence is, and then you find it in the right way to suspend people. I think just let the courts do their job. I know that process takes a while. And, I mean, if you want to cut a guy, that's fine. Like, if you're a team and realize having this guy on your team is a bad image, you can cut him. I'm perfectly okay with that. But he shouldn't be suspended by the NFL until everything has been found out and we go through the entire legal process. That's just my opinion. So it's interesting to see this guy is able to work. We'll see how long he uh, stays in jail, and that's coming up in January. So, I mean, he could play for the Seahawks all season long and then end up in jail afterwards. I mean, legal he's got to pay his legal fees somehow. So I guess this is how he's going to be able to do it. Some other sad news uh, in the world of sports. Uh, the 2018 Big 12 Women's Golf Champion, uh, Celia uh, Barquin, 
Arosima, uh, Arosamena, I'm sorry. Uh, she was found, unfortunately, she was found uh, slain on a golf course Monday morning in Ames, Iowa. She was, again, the Big 12 Women's Golf Champion for Iowa State uh, this last season. And uh, bad situation. Police have charged 22-year-old Colin Daniel Richards with first-degree murder in her death. Uh, I mean, Rosamo, she was from Spain. She had finished her eligibility in the spring. Uh, but then she's finishing up her civil engineering degree and staying around Ames. And that's just a real tragedy to see. I mean, that's terrible. Uh, again, more on this case, of course, as it develops. When new information comes out uh, pertinent to anything, we will let you guys know. But this is just a, just a sad situation to see and really sucks uh, that situations like that happen in the world. It sucks. I mean, she was doing great with her life and there's a terrible, tragic situation in her life is over. And we don't know the guy's motive yet. They have not released any of that information yet, uh, but we'll find out. Uh, so, and more of that here on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. We'll bring that to you. Uh, back to some happier news. Uh, congratulations goes out to the Seattle Storm for winning the WNBA championship. Uh, they beat the Washington Mystics 98-82 to in Game 3 of the series to sweep the Washington Mystics out. That's the third title. For the Seattle Storm, led by veteran, of course, Sue Bird, and then Brianna Stewart, who has just been a winner everywhere she goes. She's won state titles at high school. She won four national championships every year at UConn. Now she's winning championships in the WNBA. I mean, she's just a winner. Wherever she goes, she wins, and she's a great player. She led all scorers with 30 points in that game. So congratulations to the Seattle Storm. Looks like they might have a little bit of a dynasty there. They've won three titles, not all consecutively, but they could put a string together with the crew that they've got. So congratulations to them. Another really cool uh, bit of news here as we wrap up Shibbles and Bits. This one's always great. I always love when records get broken in an awesome way like this. Uh, but I got to say congratulations to the... Uh, Gold medalist of the the last Olympic marathon. This guy, he won a gold medal. His name's uh, Eliud Kipchoge from Kenya. Surprisingly, a marathon runner from Kenya. No surprise there. But uh, Kipchoge goes out, and it was already the gold medal winner. He uh, was in Berlin. He won the marathon in Berlin last year. Uh, this year, he went out and set a world record in the marathon. He uh, competed and set the world record there at the Berlin uh, Marathon Sunday in two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds. The first ever to break the two-hour, two-minute mark in the marathon. So he ran 26.2 miles in two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds. That is amazing. That is am he smashed the record. Uh, the previous record was held by fellow Kenyan Dennis Kometo, who set the record in 2014. He beat it by one minute and 18 seconds. Which, so he he just smashed the record. Not a second. He had, I mean, he 78 seconds between him and that. So that was just amazing to see. The conditions were perfect in Berlin for it. Mild temperatures, little wind, no rain. So it was a perfect attempt for him. This was his third try at the Berlin Marathon to set the world record. He finally did it. Um... Kipchoge, he is a farmer by trade there in Kenya, so, I mean, he's got something great. He was just enthusiastic as he won. He was great running around, high-fiving everybody, just so grateful of it. It was really cool to see the track and field community come out for that. That was awesome to see. It was a great moment for him. 
Um, so again, he won in two hours, one minute, 39 seconds. Second place uh, was a German named Amos Capruto, I believe. He finished two hours, six minutes, 23 seconds. So pretty big gap there between first and second. But congratulations to him. Setting world records. We love seeing records broken here on the Man in the Arena podcast. And that will wrap up this edition of Shibbles and Bits. Thank you guys for tuning in as we fade the Pink Panther away. No more Pink Panther for you guys, <laughs> but that's okay. We're going to get into the ring real quick here. Actually, some special uh, stuff going on here for everybody, as usually we talk wrestling at the end, but we're going to get in the ring. I am, of course, the man in the arena, Michael Shibley, here on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. Got to talk a little boxing first, as there was a big boxing match Saturday night. Canelo Alvarez and United Golovkin uh, the rematch after there was a controversial draw. Many thought Triple G should have won the first match. I believed he should have won that first match. Uh, this one, Canelo Alvarez, uh, Alvarez won by majority decision. Many thought it should have been a draw, uh, just the way it was going. Very good action fight. It was great to see. It was a really exciting fight. Always love a good action fight in boxing. So that was great. I really am hoping for a third fight. Um, I, I got a feel for Triple G, who thought he had won the first fight, thought he probably won or at least drew in this second fight, but again comes away with a majority decision loss to Canelo Alvarez. And again, he had been going after Alvarez because they were supposed to fight Cinco de Mayo weekend back in May, uh, but Alvarez was suspended for using performance-enhancing drugs, which he claims was tainted meat and all that other fun stuff that they all yell at each other about. I want to see a third fight between these two. These two put on a great show, which is great. A rematch I don't want to see is one that has been hinted at, and that's between Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. Floyd Mayweather brought this up on Instagram. The two were trash-talking each other. Uh, And um, Pacquiao, the last he beat Lucas Mateus earlier in the year to win a a title and uh, called out Mayweather after it, and Pretty much every Mayweather fight, and there's been 50 of them. He's 50-0. and 0. The action that happened in the Alvarez-Triple-G fight, there was more action in that one fight than any action that's been happening in any Floyd Mayweather fight. Yes, he wins. He's a great champion in the ring, not in life, his personal life. He's a terrible human being who beats women, so get that out of the way. He still wins in the ring and has made a lot of money doing it. Great. His fights are boring. He doesn't engage. He plays defense the whole time. And hey, he wins. He makes a lot of money doing it. But it's not good for the casual viewer for boxing. And Pacquiao just couldn't get in on him. Pacquiao, of course, claims that his shoulder was bothering him. But now these guys are a couple years older than when they fought back in 2015. I don't want to see this fight. I don't. There's no reason to it. There's a lot of other great stuff. If Mayweather wants to fight, fight Alvarez again. You know, Alvarez lost to him the first time, but I think Alvarez could probably beat him, or fight Triple G. These two guys would love to fight Floyd Mayweather and finally give him a loss that he so rightly deserves for being a despicable human being. So, But that's my boxing rant for the day. Again, great fight between Alvarez and Triple D. G. Triple D. Triple G. Ah, I can't talk today. Great fight between Alvarez and Triple G. I would love to see a third fight, make it an epic trilogy. That would be great. Do not want to see a rematch between Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. The first one was about six years too late. This one would be way too late for anybody to really care. So please, don't happen. Back into the world of professional wrestling. WWE Hell in a Cell happened. It was... 
a great undercard ruined by a terrible main event. I mean, you look at the undercard. You had Becky Lynch beating Charlotte in a very good match. That one was very entertaining. To Becky Lynch finally uh, beating Charlotte to win the Women's Championship on SmackDown. That was wonderful. The uh, title match between AJ Styles and Samoa Joe was just solid. It was great. Uh, controversy there as uh, Samoa Joe had AJ Styles in the Coquina Clutch, a chokehold, but AJ uh, flipped over and had Samoa pinned, uh, and the referee counted to three, but did not see uh, AJ Styles tapping on the other side. So, of course, there's controversy and all that. So, of course, they will meet in a little, uh, in a couple weeks, I believe, in Australia, and that big show in a no disqualification, no countout match, which doesn't resolve the issue that they had there. So, we'll see what happens. I was hoping Samoa Joe was going to win the title, but. That didn't happen, but the match of the night happened with Rollins and Ambrose facing uh, Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre for the Raw Tag Team Championship. Great match. Probably the best match the main roster has put on all year long. I mean, NXT has been killing them in terms of match quality. So these guys went out, put on a damn near five-star match, which I thought was wonderful. Uh, Ziggler and McIntyre retain. Drew McIntyre looks like, at this point, he is ready for a world title push. He is looking great. I love the character that he's got. That Claymore kick is really cool to watch. So, hopefully, uh, they will start pushing him at some point. But then the main event happened. The cell match between Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman. <sighs> Brock Lesnar shows up, rips the door off, beats guys b- both guys down, and it's ruled a no contest in a Hell in a Cell no disqualification match. You're supposed to have a finish in all Hell in a Cell matches. I mean, even the 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 Jeff Hardy Randy Orton Hell in a Cell match that happened earlier in the day or in the evening. Yeah, Jeff Hardy, you know, fell through a table and they were going to stop the match, but at least Randy Orton in full heel mode pinned him and told the ref, "Do your job, count the pin." Even though Hardy seemed to be at least storyline wise seriously injured, they still had a finish. They didn't have a finish in this match. Another thing that really bothered me, they had a table spot where Roman Reigns spears Braun Strowman through the table. It does not get the three count. Strowman kicks out at two, and then you have Ziggler and McIntyre. And uh, Rollins and Ambrose come out and start trying to get in the cell somehow and do all this stuff. They're fighting on top of the cage. Uh, uh, you know, Rollins and Ziggler both fall through announce tables off about midway off the, the, the cell, the big cage, and all of that, which was great action, except the fact that the other match was still going on in the cell. And by the match going on, meant uh, Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman were just lying on the ground for five minutes, doing nothing while all the other stuff was going on. Which was, and then Brock, and then after all that happened, then Brock Lesnar's music hits. Brock Lesnar comes out and beats both guys down, and then it was ruled again a no contest. I just flash back to the first ever Hell in a Cell match between Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker at Bad Blood '97. Look that one up. On the WWE Network, if you have to, it's one of the. It's a, just an amazing, great, great match. It's where Kane debuts. Spoiler alert! It was 1997. You've had enough time. Kane shows up. Tombstone's the Undertaker, but then Shawn Michaels still puts his arm over him, so they still have a finish to a cell match, a cage match, where there's supposed to be a finish for crying out loud. So that was frustrating. It ends up almost being a promotion now for this other stuff that's happening. In the WWE, because now the WWE is promoting three pay-per-views. So, you've got the Super Showdown that's happening in Melbourne, Australia. That's happening October 6th. And, of course, the big event there is going to be The Undertaker and Triple H for the last time. 
That's fine. The Women's Evolution Show is happening October 28th. They've They've been hyping that one, and now they've got the new Saudi Arabia show called Crown Jewel that's happening, and that's happening in November, November 2nd, and now they're going to have the title match there. So it's going to be a triple threat match between Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, and now Brock Lesnar. That's great. Brock Lesnar apparently gets another million dollars to have one more match, apparently. I, I just didn't even want Brock Lesnar to be around anymore i thought he should just go to the ufc i didn't want him and if he's gonna stay in the wwe that's fine but i don't want him anywhere near the title picture anymore at all he should be almost like a throwback to what andre the giant was back in the territory days where he was a special attraction he was around for a little while you know put some guys over, beat some guys, did whatever, and then left. That's what Brock Lesnar should be used for now. And I don't even think you need him at this point. So you've got all this stuff. The pay-per-view ended on a bad note, and now Raw is just rudderless because you've got three different shows you're trying to promote at the same time, which is just another mess. You've got all that. Some of the things that make sense, though. The Mae Young Classic happening on the WWE Network. They had the second block of first-round matches rolling along. Not, Not many... Not really, they're all fine matches, nothing great out of all of them, uh, but uh, still, uh, Deanna Perrazzo defeated Priscilla Kelly, and then uh, Zexius out of uh, Mexico defeated uh, Big Swole, Ariel, Ariel Monroe, uh, then you had Casey Catazaro, many of you know her from American Ninja Warrior, she's now trying her luck as a wrestler, she beat the much larger Reina Gonzalez in decent match, um, the best match uh, it was two veterans, Mercedes Martinez, defeating Ashley Rain. Many of you know her as Madison Rain from TNA, um, and that sets up a really good second round match. As Mercedes Martinez will take on the veteran Mako Satamora. We talked about her a little bit on last week's show, so that's been happening. Meanwhile, over in Japan, after all the craziness, and again, there were some really good matches in Hell in a Cell, but the ending just bothered it for me switch over to new japan world there which is well worth again the 999 yen you guys should check that out if you're big wrestling fans and uh, they had their destruction in hiroshima event going on the main event was kenny omega defending his iwgp heavyweight championship against one of the men to beat him during the g1 climax tomohiro ishii one of the big strong style guys they've had great matches they had a great match at the finals of the uh U.S. title tournament uh, last year in Long Beach where Kenny beat him. Uh, Ishii has beaten him over the year as well. Another five-star match, and Kenny Omega hits the one-wing angel on Ishii and beats him. Uh, So that was a great challenge. Kenny Omega, great job of defending his heavyweight championship in that one. We'll see where it goes from there. A match in this destruction tour that they're happening uh, later this week it is gonna be uh, it's gonna be just one more between uh, Tanahashi and Okada. They're renewing their rivalry one more time. Tanahashi putting on the line the contract uh, for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship shot at Wrestle Kingdom 13. He's putting it on the line against his old rival Okada. Should be another great match to see. So check that one out. Uh, I believe that one is September 23rd on New Japan World. So check that one out as well so that's gonna be it for me it has been another wonderful episode i appreciate you guys hanging out with me and again i told you wasn't quitting during the show not quitting at the end of the show i'm gonna be here for weeks on end you guys are gonna love having me i hope i love having you guys listen and feedback with me and again this has been 
the Modern Day Gladiators podcast on the Stage Diver Radio Network. And please, as always, like, subscribe, share, get the word out. I want to hear from you guys as well. Thanks, as always, to Mitch Wheeler for having me in and having this great show. I love you guys so much. As always, as Kenny Omega would say, I must bid you adieu. Goodbye. Good night. Bang. Too sweet. Love you guys. See you next time.